Welcome to Finding Emo, our podcast where we discuss our favorite albums from the early aughts and thereabouts. I am Blake Fisher, and I'm joined by the uh, birthday buddies who recently just had one, uh, Chris Monier and Kyle Simmons. Hey. And uh, happy birthday, fellas, last week. Thanks, hey. dude. May the 4th. Chris managed to step foot in his 50th state yes. the day before his 39th birthday. So he yeah. is ahead of, uh, ahead of me by seven states. One of mine is Alaska, so that's going to take a little while, I think, to get trip. to that one. I had family in Alaska. I kind of got a, I got a gimme on that one. A little unfair. That's okay. You were still there. Uh, so the, he crossed the last one, Montana, off of his list last week. So uh, consider me jealous. I still have basically the Northeast, Montana, and Alaska. How, 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 how many Montana? have you been to? Oh, dude, it's 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 way low. I've got like <laughs> it's way low. I've got like maybe twenty to go. Okay. <laughs> But I mean, I haven't been to Montana. But it was I did, beautiful. I, I spoke to a man one night late on the phone from Montana, and he told me Bigfoot existed there, and people just accepted it. So why were you talking to this man late at night on the phone about Bigfoot? You remember the on. you remember the late night metal show at ninety ninety one FM? My uh, buddy Caleb vaguely. hosted it. And we would just for an hour or two ask truckers, because that's who was listening to it overnight. To call okay. in and tell us their their Bigfoot stories or their ghost stories, and it was awesome. <laughs> okay, I wish I would have known that this existed. This dude invited <laughs> us to stay at his house in Gray Horse, Montana. <laughs> Don't do it. He's gonna eat you. Uh, yeah, that he's was gonna de- murder that, you and then eat you. I was de- 100% I was chance. yeah. I was definitely like yeah. I'll be there, dude. Uh, and then and then hung up, and I was like that guy was trying to kill us. But uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. You would have been eaten. He did say the local chief to the uh, to the native. Uh, it, there, there were like some still there. There were still a uh, tribe of Native Americans that lived in the mountains. There is what what this guy was saying, and uh, he said that the chief was like all scarred up because he fought <laughs> he fought a deer he fought Bigfoot for a deer he killed when he was younger. <laughs> Man, I, I think so, that tribe, I'm that so, tribe was just screwing with them. <laughs> yeah, and I, watch this. yeah, you're right. And, and I'm really sorry for how far I've taken us. <laughs> That's okay. It's fine. It's uh, all very interesting. I really appreciated it. Yeah. In no way does talking about Bigfoot in Montana have anything to do with the album that we're talking about today, which <laughs> is uh, Death Cab for Cuties, Kinda. 2003 Transatlanticism. Not Antlanticism, by the way. Yeah. As people, I feel like, often say, it's Atlanticism. Uh, but uh, that's the one we're doing today. And uh, Chris, take it away. Tell us about what you found out about this album. All right. It, it was very interesting researching this record. Um, so I, this was kind of the record that got me turned on to this band. I didn't realize like they had actually been touring for quite a bit and making music. For, I mean, I knew they had albums before this, but... Uh, they've been uh, touring and um, recording for about half a decade, and then things were getting a little tense in the band, so they decided to take uh, some time away from each other. And uh, you know, obviously, that's what gave us um, Ben Gibbard's um, other, uh, you know, quote unquote side project uh, that was released right before this, uh, "Give Up" with the Postal Service, um, which had become a gigantic success, uh, huge, platinum record, huge. yeah, very, very, very awesome. Um, it's pretty good. The uh, yeah, no, it's not a bad record. Not a bad record at all. Um, Went platinum, I hear. Yeah, that's Postal insane. Postal Service. Yeah, that's insane. I 
that was kind of a chicken and egg thing for me. I, I, I had always thought they kind of came out right at the same time, but it, Give Up was before. So um, so they worked on this record between, they took their time between December 2002 and June of 2003, um, like all records before and a few after. Uh, the record was produced by the guitar player in the band, Chris Walla, great name. Um, it it's was a great name. Yeah, uh, mainly recorded at the Hall of Justice studio in Seattle's Fremont neighborhood that Walla had Also a great purchased. name. What? Also, the- Hall of Justice? Oh, yeah, That's I a great right. name for a studio. <laughs> He's also the lead singer of Dishwalla, right? Yep. No, yep. that is not named, true. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's named after him, that band. He was he was 14 uh-huh. when they were putting out songs. <laughs> so, uh, recorded to tape, analog, um, digital, still pretty new at the time. They made a conscious effort to really spread out the recording process, and they really took the t- their time. And I think it really shows when you listen to the record. All the songs are very meticulously crafted. Lots of layers. Lots of uh, interesting um, instrumentation. You can really tell they took their time. Um, utilized. Uh, if you're a Brian Eno fan at all, you can hear the Eno uh, influence, obviously. Um, but they did utilize uh, Eno's card uh, b- book of cards called Oblique Strategies. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. No. Yeah, we had that at the office when we had an office. Oh, you did? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I actually downloaded the app. I was like, oh, this might help me at work. Like you like pick up a card and it helps you like kind of give a new spin on things. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was really cool thinking about these guys like just, you know, trying different things and really taking their time. Um, since the last few records they had made, uh, they were just really frustrated by the tight timelines. Always happens to young artists. You don't have a lot of money. You got to record quickly. On a pretty small indie label too. So yeah. you're not, don't have a ton of budget, don't have right. a lot of time. Uh, yeah, that's the dream way to do a record without any, I'm sure they had a timeline. I'm sure they had a deadline and stuff and, and a, and a pace they wanted to go at, but to be able to go record a little bit, come back to it and not have to make every final decision right then, I think is probably what contributed to this record being, in my opinion, much, much better than their previous stuff. Um, but we'll get to that, obviously. Um, yeah, I didn't actually know that they did this whole thing to tape. I thought that was an interesting tidbit. Um, and obviously, they're very good musicians. They they did another album later where they did most of the tracking like live. Like, they did vocals and instrumentation kind of at the same time. Uh, so yeah, they're real real talented. Chris Walla is a heck of an engineer and producer and mixer and so uh, musician and <laughs> songwriter and keep just add the slashes to his title yeah. slash producer slash guitar slash tour de um, force tour de force yes uh super super talented guy um and and really um i mean it sounds like a couple of things i read were like you know it didn't really mention what the tension was but it did mention that chris had kind of like maybe not threatened is the right word but like had thought about leaving the band like leaving it behind or something like that so it sounds like their goal was like, let's make Chris happy and make Chris's experience recording this good. And I think it paid off very handsomely for them. <laughs> it was a very wise move on well, everyone's part. Yeah. Cause this record basically sparked a major label bidding war. Um, that's between, what the kind of, that's what you yeah. want when you're an indie artist. Yeah. So it, it, yeah, they, they did it right. Uh, Chris is a very creative guy. So yes, keeping him happy was of the utmost importance. Cause when he, when he's happy, he makes amazing things happen with uh, instruments and uh, twisty, twisty, turning, mixy production knobs. 
Yeah, it sounds like basically the formula for them is you want Chris happy, Ben sad. Ben so sad. Yeah. <laughs> if you can, Miserable. If you can balance those two really well, you will end up with a fantastic Death Cab for Cutie al- album. Uh, so, yeah, some guy just sits in the studio, and when Chris walks in, he goes, man, you look great today. Did you? Is that a new shirt? And then when Ben walks in, you know, like, oh, do you guys smell that cheese? Ben, take a freaking shower. <laughs> Everyone hates you. And no one talks to him the whole time. (laughs) It's just like, that'd be pretty good. I I wonder if there was any, I doubt there's a real strategy there, but it does, uh, he is one of the more depressing lyricists, although I love his lyrics, but I mean, very sad. And he had gone through a breakup, I guess, and some stuff like that, which is always good, um, good album material. Uh, good songwriting stuff. But what's weird is that like, so this comes out the same year as Postal Service Give Up. And I feel like Postal Service album is not like that. So it just, it's like these records were written and recorded within a year and released all within a year of each other. Cause Postal Service is like February of 2003. This comes out October of 2003. I always thought Give Up came after Tredolinicism, but I was wrong about that. Um, and I must've, I really cannot remember when we get into like our first takes and stuff like that. I'm going to, my memory I think is wrong. Uh, I don't think I, <laughs> I don't think I'm remembering things correctly. Um, well, let's just go to that. Let's go to first impressions. Chris, you kind of mentioned yours. This was sort of your introduction to the band. So tell us about your first impressions of this album and or the band. So yeah, my homeboy, Kyle, Kyle Shaline, that was once again, always giving me the, uh, uptake on the new music he bought this record in chicago i remember when he bought it because it was really cold and this album still makes me think of how freaking cold it was in chicago um and i didn't know what to think of it and then when title and registration came on and those like weird lyrics and i was like what is happening this <laughs> is so weird and then all of a sudden i was like but it's so cool like you know, because he sings in that low register, all the bands I'm listening to at that time, everybody's singing right at the top of their range and just belting yep. out. And 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 everybody's like, all the lyrics are right on the nose. Like, she left me last night at 12 o'clock and it made me sad. You know, and then this was like, finally, we're getting some metaphors and some really, you know, interesting things happening lyrically. And uh, I, I I ate it up. I loved it. We I, I, I bet I listened to this record like 50 times in a row, uh, just over and over. It was great driving music too. Like when you're on the road or when you're just like taking the car out for a night, roll the windows down and do that hand thing in the, uh, the wind. It's perfect for that. So in the wind, in the wind. And of course, like you said, Blake, then postal service gets popular around the same time. Well, I, I'm the same way as you. I, I thought they were a different order, but I, I just basically, I got into both of those at the same time and loved it. Yeah. I think that was similar. Uh, Kyle, what about you? What was your, introduction was it this or was it the pre-albums because they've been around for like six years at this point so i i listened to the records before this honestly i i listened to we have the facts and the photo album but i didn't like them i didn't like the production i don't like the way ben's voice sounds on those records and i remember distinctly i did hear the the between transatlanticism and and give up. I heard them in chronological order because I heard give up and I thought, no way. He sounds great. Like this is, this is awesome. This sounds way better than, (laughs) than, um, death cab for cutie records. And then this record came out. I was like, all right. I like death cab for cutie because prior I thought myself, 
I consider myself not a fan because people that were people that were fans of Death Cab before this record were like hardcore fans and it just didn't make sense to me because I'm like, they're fine, but yeah. they don't sound that great. And so, nah, not for me. And and then I heard Give Up and uh, This is it. one of about... Yeah. And what were you going to say? That's, that's I mean, I'm I was gonna, I'm the same exact story. I did yeah. not like Death Cab for, for Cutie at all. I, I really strongly disliked them. You know, there are yeah. a lot of bands mm-hmm. where I'm just like, I, I can take it or leave it or I don't have an opinion. And for some reason, those two albums that came before it, and I, I had friends that really liked them and it wasn't like, that's what turned me off. It wasn't that like some right. super fan, I just didn't want to like them. I really didn't like those albums before. I agree with all the things you said. I didn't like the way he's saying. Well, I didn't and I've tried like, to back catalog and it doesn't work. It's like still a no from me. Dog. Yeah. I still don't like it. I listened to him this week just to like give him another shot, make sure I wasn't young and stupid. I mean, I know I was young and stupid, but that's not why I didn't like those records. This album to me, like is where they, I know it's their fourth album, but to me, they really kind of start here because they honed I their, think their craft. Chris Wallace production gets, yeah, you can tell Chris Wallace got a lot better at what he was doing between uh, the photo album and this record. And you can also tell that they had more time, more budget, and like they probably had a lot of that talent a couple years before, but couldn't execute it as well. And I mean, this starts the like, and this isn't a one-off thing because they start making great records kind of consistently after this, I feel like. So I feel like sometimes it just takes a second for people to become a good band. Vampire yeah. Weekend is another band like that. I hate yes. their first couple of records. I yeah. do not like them at all. I don't like the songwriting. And then Boom. what's that? Um, What's that third one of theirs? I just totally forgot the name of it, but I was like, oh, I'm happy to be wrong. This You're talking about the record really, before, really... before the last one, right? Yeah, it's like the black and white cover. Yep. Why can't yep. I think it's of the, the name of that album? Anyway, I was like, I'm happy to be wrong. And I had a friend that was like, hey, I know you didn't like them before. You really need to listen to the new record. And there's a few people I will trust uh, when they tell me such things. And uh, there's only a handful of bands that have turned, uh, turned me around like that from like truly disliking Vampire Weekend, to be fair, is because they had that Blake's Got a New Face and everyone loved uh, pretending that was like my song. And I was like, I hate <laughs> I hate this song. <laughs> I, hate, I hate that my name finally gets used in a song God and I hate it. it. <laughs> That's, so, that is unfortunate. <laughs> so yeah. just to clarify, I want to make sure that we are on the same page. You like after this, rec- like they became who they are. And after this record, you've been a fan since, right? I'm all in. Yeah. 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 I'm the same way. I, I, I am, I will never miss a death cab for cutie show. If they come through town, never. There's a lot of bands that I love that I'd be like, eh, it's Friday show. I, you know, I, this band, it just does it for me. And my, you know, my wife loves death cab for cutie too. And she like totally sold out and stopped listening to cool music. And she still likes death cab for cutie. So obviously they've got staying power. <laughs> they do. I agree. I mean, so that's interesting that really, uh, and maybe that that obviously speaks to our taste in music. There was something about it. And I really, you put your finger on it more than I even could. There was just something I just didn't like about it. It just rubbed me the wrong way for some reason. And, uh, but it's interesting because obviously we are probably, you know, obviously we were in more punkyish bands at the time, rock and stuff like that. This album is way more sparse than anything else I was listening to 
in 2003 for sure. Yeah. As far as like, there's a lot of space on this album. Uh-huh. Um, and that was not something that was, uh, we were kind of in, uh, digital, the kind of the early days of digital fill all the space. We can do anything we want to. Um, and I think we kind of lost a little bit of that, uh, discretion, I guess might be yeah. the right word. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word, but you know, being able to go like, Oh, maybe this doesn't need something else in it. Yep. Um, and that's a little easier to do when you're limited to 32 tracks, you know, I mean, not that you can't bounce stuff down, but like it does limit you a little bit more, um, creatively, but sometimes that's a good thing, I think. Um, so yeah. Um, Obviously, players, uh, you know, Ben Gibbard, you mentioned, Chris Walla, you mentioned, and then I'm going to go ahead and say, I've got to give it up to the rhythm section because this is one of my favorite bass and drum records yeah, uh, so good. out there. It's uh, They really hold it down real nice. And I guess uh, the drummer was a new member at that point, right? I think he was, I'm pretty sure he was new for this record. I could be wrong about that. I, you know what? I did not dive into the personnel. I, so it looks like Jason McGurr. McGurr. I think McGurr. I read, I think you I misread that. Like, like, but that's how I, that's, a, I think you misread that. I, I think the drummer was nude on this album, not new. He's naked. <laughs> he was naked the yeah. whole time. Yeah. That's what it was. I've read it wrong. Yeah. That's a weird uh, card to draw in the game. Like, do this song naked. Okay. All right. I got him. Just bright. It's just bright. Make the rules. Screwing with people. Uh, that reminds me of a completely unrelated Brian Eno story. But I heard, <laughs> I, I heard an interview with. Uh, with uh, Brandon Flowers from The Killers, who they wanted to do their second record with Brian Eno, and their label told him that he wasn't interested, and so he was like, "So I was, I was like depressed for like 15 years that Brian Eno didn't like our music, and then like in 2015, I learned that like the label just made that up. <laughs> they didn't oh, want us to do it with man. Brian Eno. He was like, and then I figured out that like I lived in a world where Brian Eno didn't hate my music. I don't know if Brian Eno even likes my music, but it was just good it's better than, than not it's like better than not not liking it <laughs> that he didn't pass on it uh i thought that was a great music a industry good... story uh okay well oh. let's uh let's jump into track by track if y'all want to get into that does that sound mm-hmm. good enough mcgurr okay <laughs> sounds, McGurr. sounds awesome well let's start with track one the new year love talking about good uh, first tracks and this is certainly uh in maybe the hall of fame of great opening yeah. tracks for a record uh okay so as we get let's okay i know we just said we'd start track by track let's also discuss this it's obviously our our podcast is called finding emo and i feel like there's some uh not controversy but most people would call this indie like that's what they call them but this is this is a great point of like why do we consider this indie instead of emo or consider emo instead of indie it's one of those things i think kyle's 
um, theory of that it boils down to what label you are on makes a huge difference. Because if this is on any of the regular suspects, Vagrant, Drive-Through, you know, any of those labels that were around at the time, you, I think you immediately would call it emo, like everything about it. But because they were from Seattle and they're in on this indie label that's like more indie rock kind of thing, and it starts the craze of like the Strokes and uh, kind of all those indie bands. Like I feel like Death Cab was kind of like ushered all that in yep. in 2003. I mean, there were, I guess, a couple of them before then, but I feel like they kind of launched it. But it's just interesting because like you're right, I, lyrically, like obviously – you know, there. Could you get more emo than what I didn't even see? What Kyle just said. I, I, I told you it's two things. It's, it's it's labels and it's haircuts and glasses, man. Like Kyle, you can't do that to me in the middle of a podcast. God. Okay, so I'll put the the picture that Kyle just sent of emo Ben Gibbard. Specifically, um, that's Ben yeah, Gibbard guess, in two thousand and three. Shirts. Yeah. That's yeah, and that's why it's he's got a flannel shirt and glasses, horn rim glasses, and <laughs> an intentionally not bad haircut, haircut or eyeliner or anything on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's indie personified. <laughs> I am not emo. He's saying with every fiber of his being. Right, <laughs> but I, I mean, I do feel like his lyrics are the big are the oh, big yeah. thing right. that brings us into emo. Right, that's I mean, is that, that's that a fair assessment? Yes. That's exactly right. Like you don't go to a death cab. Like when you think of an emo show, like you're like rocking out. Like you know, you're kind of moving around. Like you know, a death cab show is just all head bobbing. You know, it's that's pretty much. Except for their, you know, their their happy bangers. They've got a few. Yeah, they got a few good album. rock songs. Maybe yeah. even some like. But swing. it's like you know the daylight. Yeah, yeah. the daylight nice between. <laughs> the daylight between like Copeland and Death Cab is not like huge for me. Like I mean, obviously I can tell those bands apart. I'm just saying that like, what's the big difference? They both have like some keyboard driven stuff and like some more chill stuff, and you know, like like what's really. What's the genre difference between those two? But no one would, I feel like, I don't know. It's just one of those weird things where we like to put labels on things, but the truth is it doesn't really matter. So if you don't think this is an email album, album that's fine, but um, we're counting it as one because it's from the early 2000s. That uh, meets the criteria of our podcast. We like yep. the album. That also meets the criteria mm-hmm. of the podcast. And uh, we think it's emo enough, right? So yep. we're calling yep. it good. Anyway, back to the new year uh, and it being can, a fantastic I, opening track. Can I say one thing also? Of course, yeah. Uh, so one interesting thing I saw is that they had an offer to tour with uh, Dashboard Confessional and they turned down because they wanted to stay away from that emo label. From the emo Whoa. thing, okay. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and... Do you know what's interesting? No one wanted the emo label back then. Like, no one claimed to be an emo band. Like, yeah, like it, was show, all, it was like the third rail of music. Even though, show me a band that said like, "Oh, we're an emo band." No one ever said that. So, yeah. um, well, maybe some like local bands did, but no, like, and it wasn't because they were like trying to shy away from it. It just didn't have a great. Yeah. Um, it didn't mean enough because we had like the used and death cab for cutie and it's like well those two bands don't have any overlap why are we calling them the same genre um so i get it i think uh indie is also one of those really broad things though so i don't know how i'd peg their true genre i mean i'd call it like a a chill rock and roll influenced i don't know um i mean it's more singer songwriter almost but with a great band kind of sounds yep. like anyway yeah uh so new year chris thoughts on new year 
Good tune. Perfect tune for 2021, by the way. Um, mm. Just yeah. not not feeling any different. Um, I I didn't have a lot to say about this song. I, I think you already kind of said it, Blake. It's it's a great opening track. It's just like big anthemy, big ringing chords. Uh, it it kind of got like a, almost like an uplifting feel to it. Even though the lyrics are just about like how depressingly sad it is that he's on you know New Year's Day and nothing you know nothing's different and it just who cares people are happy but why are they happy nobody should be happy i'm very emo but say. it feels good it's yeah, got it's a nice good. yeah weird structure too because it's really just kind of like verses and then kind of a b thing and then the verses again there's no real it's an yeah. it's like there's no real structure structure to it no um, not at all and it like i was counting through it it's this song is in four four right but it's just like the notes are placed in a weird way, or am I totally wrong on that? No, it's just 4-4. Four, four. Yeah, you're right. It's Right, just... but it doesn't feel like, it almost feels like it's a different time signature. I don't know how they did it. Like, well, I know how they did it. It's just those It's the rhythm placed. section. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Blake. I mean, they're freaking killing right. it. Yeah. I mean, those drums are awesome. The bass is awesome. Really, can you imagine how boring this song is with just the guitar parts? Like, oh, yeah. if you had the stems of this song and played the guitars and the vocals, you'd be like, this is boring. But man, the rhythm section brings it home speaking of rhythm section let's talk to kyle he's a rhythm guy bass player uh, what are your thoughts on the new year my thoughts are the same as your guys uh i love it um and also about the rhythm section i I'll, i mean we're probably going to mention the bass and drums on every song how freaking awesome they are but their bass player nick um i i guess the word i'm going to use to describe him is like he's he kicks butt but he is so tasteful like what he plays is so tasty even this song um i know you you guys both can hear when you listen to this song like when he's not playing is just as important because other people who are as skilled as him would be filling in those gaps with but and and he did he doesn't do it you know what i mean like he just he's he's uh he uses restraint and and like I, I respect that so much. Someone that can play anything they want and then also has good taste. Uh, that's hard to come by. Yep. That, the, the, the Miles, there's a Miles Davis quote, quote like this. It's the notes you play. It's the notes you don't play. Yeah. And that's a really good point because this record has a lot of stuff that they don't play. Like this, yeah. honestly, those, that first kind of verse with the, the, um, with the lyrics and stuff in it and the vocals in it. They're just hitting those like diamonds and they're holding it for like two bars totally. or whatever. And it feels like it actually feels a little like, oh, isn't yeah. someone supposed to be playing something? And then boom, boom. And uh, I just think you're right. It's about he's a really good bass player, but he doesn't show off, if yeah. that makes sense. It's not like a flea thing where it's like, I'm really good and I'm going to do all. And I'm like, flea's great. I'm not dogging on yeah. flea. I'm just saying it's a like, different thing. <laughs> everyone hears flea play and goes, oh my gosh, he's amazing. Yeah. Most people don't hear this guy. And he plays like, have you ever watched uh, the rig rundowns on Premier Guitar? Anyway, he plays like it's two. It's like a P bass copy. It's not really by uh, Fender, but someone else. He just has two of the exact same basses. Plays those the whole tour. He like the exact same guitar. He just has a backup in case something goes wrong with one. Uh, like just an easy like good musician. Let's the let the fingers do the talking instead of well. And uh, I think I think it's probably fair to pl- I think it's fair to say that he's the kind of bassist that people like no one actually really knows how good he is because he's not showing off the whole time, but, but what he plays is perfect. 
And by the way, I was right. This is the first, this is uh, Jason McGurr's first stuff with him. Uh, I know he basically showed up with a binder with all of their stuff charted out, like mm. to try out. I remember and, this story. And he was yes. like, yeah, he shows up with a binder uh, with like all, he's like, what do you guys want to play? And just like, pick pick any song. And they literally like, uh, how about this? And he's like, flips to the page and I guess just nails it. I mean, <laughs> he's obviously a very good drummer. Um, and I guess they were just like, all right, yeah, that, uh, I don't know how you could not pass that uh, test, I so, guess, if you're that good and have everything charted out already. So Blake, what you're saying is that uh, turns out that I actually misread and that he he was not nude. He was indeed new. He was indeed new. So you okay. must have had that was a Freudian slip on your part. Man. You must have been thinking about him being naked. About about nudity. Actually, right, in this case, dudity. Du- is that nu- male nudity? Oh, is just male, dudity? That's male nudity. Dudity. Yeah, that bums me out. Um, it's not my thing. Any but it's other thoughts? Oh, my one other thought on the new year. I love 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 that the beginning of this track and the whole record starts with that noise in the background and then yeah. the record ends on that too. And if uh-huh. you could just loop them, it kind of just invites you to play this record over yeah. and over again. Uh, I always really liked that, but the CD player never actually uh, seamlessly loops that. It, you know, it does the the laser's got to go back to the beginning of the disc. Oh, I remember um, that noise. Yeah, so I mean, you might be able to get away with that now on Spotify. I've not actually tried it, so we'll see if they go right into each other or not. But anyway, I always enjoyed that. Uh, I feel like, and that is something I read. They did, they did try to like make more of a cohesive album that kind of had like, oh, this song's going to go into this, and it'll do this kind of transition. And they were kind of thinking of it as a as a whole album, right? Um, which I think uh, I think shows. So uh, let's go to lightness. I feel like I'm sitting in the room with that drum set. Mm-hmm. Sounds so good. Yeah, Kyle, what, are your, what are your thoughts on lightness? Uh, I'm pumped that you chose that clip. That's, that's one of my favorite lyrics on the song. Instincts are misleading. You shouldn't think what you're feeling. Um, I mean, he's, he's an awesome lyricist. Uh, and so and, good. And, um, and again, you know, I guess we can talk some more about it. it I, the the quote what was it it's about the notes you don't play i mean there's just not a lot going on here but everything yep. everything's great that is happening and i agree the kit sounds great sounds like you're in the room uh but um yeah i i love this song and 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 i distinctly remember uh like i did not like his voice on records prior to this and there's just so many moments on this album that i'm like oh man like the whoa the woes on this song i'm like he sounds great yeah. So. Yeah. He 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 moved right up to the mic and just embraced that. Yeah. That style of I I feel like he like owned it on this record and 
Yeah, it, it, what you said, Kyle, was perfect about this. You, you were talking about the space that they leave, and this song is like all space. <laughs> it's like it takes so much restraint yeah. to make a song with this much space in it that's that, that pretty. Like, there's such little actual guitar playing in the song, but it's all perfectly placed. And he, every instrument's like that. Like even right. like everything's really sparse. I mean, that snare drum makes. I just want to hug it. Like it sounds so good. It's the perfect snare sound for this. You know, this is total speculation. But to your point, Kyle, I wonder if the postal service thing made him a better singer because that was all he was doing on that record. Yeah. Um. Obviously, he plays guitar and keys, and he's writing songs and all this stuff. And like, in that kind of exchanging of. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, starts this last name starts with T. I just totally forgot it. The other guy in Postal Service, well, you know, sends him tracks, and then he like writes stuff on top of it. It's like I don't know if that just made him better because I feel like I'm the feel the exact same way on Postal Service's album. I'm like, yes, I'm into this guy. Like, um, it just hit me totally different, and it wasn't because of the the electronic part of it. But I just wonder if that was like that was the key. I feel like with Jimmy World, it was kind of the same thing. With I feel like his vocals from futures on were different. It's like, maybe it's sometimes it's the producer. I mean, in this case, I don't think it's the producer because Chris Walla is the producer on all of these. So I don't know if it's the combination of time or the postal service stuff. Um, but yeah, he, he came into it for real in 2003 in, in a great way. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on lightness? Oh, I, I shared them. Yeah. That yeah. it's the space. And, uh, I also noted that the drums were so great. Uh, yeah, just, God, as a drummer, like I was thinking, like how nervous it would make me to be tracking this song, you know, and have Walla be like, "This song's basically you," and yeah. and then a little bit of us, like, so you better play everything right on the right on the nose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of like, <laughs> hey, you've got all the ghost notes going on because you've got all the space right now. Yeah. There's no, there's no <laughs> covering up. It's to tape. Mm-hmm. We cannot time correct this later. It's to tape. Yes, like. <laughs> Dude, and he's just like just joined the band with his binder full of songs. Yeah, I mean. yeah, he's uh, he's knocking it out of the park for sure, right out of the gate. Uh, there is no doubt about it. I do feel like I do really like this song. I don't love it being the second song on the record. Am I the only one that feels nope. like it jumps too far down for the I second that, track? I, I, I actually, put, I, yeah. I have some other song placement issues with the record too. Oh, okay, okay. I'm anxious to hear those. And I just, I feel like. Track two is normally a, a chance to ramp up. Now they don't really have anywhere to ramp up because maybe the sound of settling is the yeah, only one at a higher what? tempo than New Year. But uh, this definitely the, goes way down. This goes all the way down. Yeah. This is the slowest song, I think, tempo wise. Probably I didn't map them out, but I bet I bet it's the slowest. Uh, and uh, it just felt like a little too much. But I'm not gonna dog him on the track order. It's still a fantastic song, and I do agree. He's so good at like painting a picture with his lyrics that like, you know, there's like sometimes it is amb- ambiguous, but there's always lines and things in it where you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I feel, but I've never thought to say it that way. And yeah. I feel like your line that you mentioned a second ago, Kyle, is is definitely one of those. Um, let's go to title and registration, as Chris mentioned earlier. <laughs> Disappointment 
another good lyric. I'm, I'm, you're going to find out that on this one, I'm trying to capture, um, it's hard to capture like 30 seconds of these songs cause they're a slower. So I'm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. not even getting like a whole chorus or a whole verse sometimes. Uh, but I do really like that line about where disappointment and regret collide. So another good. really, just really good lyric. Um, Kyle thoughts on uh, title and registration. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I love that. Uh, what what is that instrument at the beginning of that? Is that just like a? You think that's like a? I don't know if it's a Glockenspiel uh, yeah, or like, if it's? I mean, some sort of bells, but I don't I, know. Yeah. I don't know enough about my different. Uh, you don't know enough about your bell, bell instruments. instruments. Sounded Glockenspielish to me. It's it's Spiel, it Glockenspiel um, with a mic like right on it. I yeah, mean, it right. is so an inch uh, away from it. I dig it, and I do. I do love the lyrics. I will say that like this one to me is. It's one of those. If you're reading along, it it it's sad. It's a bummer, you know. Like, I you, you I think you mentioned that that uh did you mention that he had had a that he experienced a breakup or were you just joking about that? No, he had. He had. Yeah, yeah. super sad. Yeah, breakup and and also like a long a lot of th- themes of this record is long distance relationships. Yeah, yeah you're right, uh, Chris. Thoughts on uh, on title and registration percussion man this song is all about the percussion drums sound cool lots of weird little sounds and then the glockenspiel making uh you know a showing in the at the end uh, glockenspiel solo really yeah <laughs> technically I'd, yeah. I'd call it a it's an instrumental take, bridge taking it the... they're like i'm gonna take this thing for a ride hold on guys Woo! Um, <laughs> I don't know if you could ever say "woo" in a Death Cab for Cutie song. Except is it like maybe. a key? You think it's like a keytar strapped to him, and he's playing it like out on a foot on the monitor situation? F-O-T-M. When they do this online, no doubt about it. Yeah. Why uh, would you not? Seems yeah. like a perfect opportunity. I I will I will never forget where I was when you know I heard Ben Gibbard for the first time say the glove compartment isn't accurately named, and that's the first lyric of this song and i'm like i don't know man i was like you are a freaking genius right first of all he's absolutely right (laughs) again that is one of those things that he writes in a lyric and you go you're right absolutely no one keeps gloves in there like what like if i were to write a song and like you put that lyric in everybody'd be like god no you can't say that (laughs) like it's it's his delivery and everything uh yeah his lyrics are so cool this is and this is just like a, a this just shows off his lyric ability probably better than um, any song that I know of. Uh, definitely, like, it's a great intro to his songwriting style. I agree. I think that uh, he does say things that I feel like other people couldn't pull off, and for some reason he does. And I think it's because it never doesn't sound sincere, if Ooh, that yeah. makes sense. Like, he never, it never seems like he was like, oh, this is a clever lyric. Like, I don't think he says that. I think he literally, like, probably works really hard on it. I don't think you could be this good at lyrics and not work really hard on it. Uh, maybe you are just that naturally talented, but he's so good at it that I think he really, he's like, oh, this is great. Like, but, like, not in a, uh, oh, this will get him. This is a good hook. I mean, I think it's just, like, he's writing the best way and uh, it yeah. works really well. Yeah, I, I can't see him like saying like I'm I'm looking for that monster hook lyric, you know. I feel like it just like flows out of his uh, does not strike brain. me as that kind of guy. Uh once again, total speculation doesn't strike me as something he would do especially uh, uh at the time. So, uh, let's go to Expo 86. And I have waited the 
Chris, what are your thoughts on Expo 86? I've always wanted to get this uh, name going for what what the chorus is. I, I, I always call it a peekaboo chorus. You know where you do like a little sliver of it? Oh, just a bit of it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite things. And you can not you can only do it once in an album. And I love it when, when, when it gets pulled off. Um, so I like the peekaboo chorus. Unless um, you're country and then you do it all the time. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Those, are, those are different rules. Those are different rules. Peekaboo um, chorus. I do like that name, though, for it. <laughs> that works really well. Uh, leaves you wanting the next one a little exactly. bit more. Yeah, I, exactly. like, I like that a lot. Um, this one's a little more upbeat. Um, the chorus, like how it's like just like filled with bass and a little guitar, but it's still like almost sounds like a, a rock and roll chorus. Um, and um, well, I mean, I, I know we're all always going to be mentioning Gibbard lyrics, but when he talks about cracking, crack its weary spine, the book. Oh, uh, such a good same thing. Thought yeah, the exact same I like, thing. I, the imagery is just perfect. Like you can hear it. And then um, the other lyric that I love in the song is like, I don't ask names anymore. Uh, I was like, yeah, dude. That's great. They all they're, they're all the same. But who cares? <laughs> it's so funny that like, <clears throat> I mean, I I had almost the exact same notes for you, Chris. I had the the lyric about the spine, such a good lyric, and then same thing about how every chorus of this builds it, but the first two are completely driven by the bass, and the guitars are doing octaves. The first time they're clean and chimey, the second time they're a little more overdriven, and it's not till the last one that there's actually like something actually playing chords behind it. Um, but again. He's a really good bass player, obviously, but on this song, he's just got a pick and he's driving into it with a little overdrive and it's perfect. Like, that's all this one needed is like, nope, just straight eighth notes, picking on the bass. Anyone could play these parts. Uh, that's what makes him good, though, is that he knows that's what this song needs. And I'm sure Chris has a bit to do with that, too. Chris Walla, that is, not Chris Monier. Chris Monier has nothing to do with the bass I tone. Played no, I played no role in this. No role. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on Expo 86? Uh, I mean, it's great. I will. I, I wrote that this one always kind of reminded me, and maybe this maybe this is the ties to emo. I don't know. But this one always kind of reminded me. I felt like it could be a Jimmy World song. Uh, yeah, and, I think that's fair. And um, yeah, I, I really like this one. It's a good one. Uh, Shall we go to The Sound of Settling? Yes. Sounds good. Let's do it. And I'll sit and wonder Kyle, what are your thoughts on the sound of settling? What do you think it sounds like? Uh, I mean, I settling. freaking love. I freaking yeah. It's this to me. This one sounds like settling. Uh, it, I freaking love this one. It's it's obviously probably closer than anything else on this record to give up. 
Um, and so at, at the time I remember kind of being psyched that there was something similar to it. And I'm not saying it's, it's exactly the same, but for death cab for cutie, it was, it was pretty freaking close to the postal service. Um, I really like those Closest lyrics. thing to like a pop song for them too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the time, like this is like, and also more of a pop it's song. one of the, like instrumentally, it's one of the more full songs, um, on the record. Yes. So, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I really dig this one. I mean, I I like I like a good poppy tune, and and they gave me one in this. So, Chris, what are your thoughts? It's yeah, I I, I think I feel like every a lot of my friends had this as their ringtone. Do you remember when you call people <laughs> and instead of like the phone ringing, it would be a song? I totally forgot that that was a thing in the early two yeah. thousands. Yeah, so, yeah, this song was really popular, and yeah, it was uh, it is like the most upbeat song on the record, and. Um, but also so funny, like when you, when you're like listening to the lyrics again and he's like talking about settling and old age is just around the bend. I can't wait to go gray. You're like, Oh, he's just depressed. It doesn't matter how happy the song is. It really doesn't. <laughs> uh, the lyrics are great on this one though. As far as I think every guy has felt like these lyrics of like not being able to say the right thing. Uh, yep. for sure. No, I love it. I mean, I think I would call it a bop. Is that yeah, fair to call it, it a bop? A bop, a bop, a bop, a bop, a bop. There we go. Uh, great song. Love the bass and drums on this one. How they really add a whole different layer of the of what's going on with it. Again, it could be a really simple rock song, but those two instruments specifically make it way more interesting. And this is a, the kind of example of, um, well, this and the next song. I kind of have. I can't quite. I don't have a good enough word for it like you do with the peekaboo chorus, but <laughs> I I have this like uh, dueling arpeggiated guitar genre is kind of what I call this and American football and the hotelier and these kind of, I love that style of like two kind of um, individual guitar parts that together make this way cooler thing that has weird rhythmic stuff going. And I feel like yeah. Death Cab was kind of one of the early bands for me that, uh, that did it really well, and I got turned on to it. Um, and now there's a bunch of bands that I incredibly, love. Incredibly, incredibly difficult to pull off and make it sound sound right. I well, mean, especially to be able to sing and play those kind of yeah. parts. Uh, that's the part I could never, <laughs> never do. I never <laughs> practiced well enough to be able to play those arpeggiated parts and sing the lyrics at the same time. Uh, so, but yeah, I just love it. And this is a great example. It's got a lot of that going on in the verses, and then uh, the next song has a ton of it too. Um, which is really good. Uh, any other thoughts on the sound of settling? I would I would argue the poppiest song on the record. Oh, no doubt. Sure, right? Okay. Uh, let's go to Tiny Vessels. I I know I'm going to I tend to pick something and just stick with talking about it the entire episode but like I'd love the like that overdrive on that bass is so gnarly 
and it makes it where the guitars don't have to fill that space at all. The guitars yeah. stay clean and chimey and stuff, or they're doing octavey stuff. And I just think it's a really great way to fill the space instead of the like. I and once again, I would love to know if they like originally wrote this with big guitars in there, and then someone was like, "Nope, you know what? Let's not do the bass, and yeah. do it with the bass instead." But it's such a good way to do that, especially. Um, in like maybe early choruses and stuff like that. And then the last one you can bring in a big guitar, but gosh, it's so good. Um, well, and this, I, yeah, go ahead. it's funny you say that. Cause like I, I, it, it, my memory of the songs were that the guitars were big. Like I remember I, I even, I started writing down in my notes, like big guitars. I was like, Oh my God, that's not the guitar. They're at all. not yeah. <laughs> just a gnarly bass overdrive or fuzz or something. I mean, it sounds good. Kyle, what are your thoughts? Yeah, bass is awesome. Also, it, maybe this isn't necessarily so, uh, about this specific song, but that's okay. This, Doesn't have this, to be. This album and up until this point has to be the most clean guitar on any record I was listening to around this time. And yeah, it, and it sounds great. Yeah, I think that um, that. Their their stuff before this was kind of like that too. I mean, they had a lot of chimier, very Vox sounding guitars and stuff. Um, and totally, I just wasn't listening to it. I wasn't. No, no, it. I I'm I'm with you, but it is. It's hard to yeah, exactly. It's hard to like keep that and then fill the space. But when, like I said, bass player helps a lot, and just like the general production, they're just really good at being a band. Even though, you know, they're their drummer is brand new at this point, but I mean, they gel pretty quick. I'd say. Oh yeah. <laughs> pretty well. Yep. Yeah. It, <laughs> and, seemed to, uh, it seemed to all work out. And, and I think the, that, and he's still the drummer. Like, yeah, the, he's still, the, yeah. Well, except I for think, Walla. That's pretty much. Yeah. Walla's gone now. Um, you know, what's interesting, I think is that like you, I, it makes me, I think the most important part was the time between, like recording something and being able to come back and visit it. It makes me wonder if like that was the key on this because technology hadn't changed They're, They did yeah. the album before this on tape. They did this one on tape, same producer, same engineers, Chris Walla doing it all. So that didn't change. I mean, he, I'm sure he got better in those, in those. Couple well, years. yeah, they even talked about like only recording five days a week, taking the weekends off, just, you know, Letting the ideas sit and stew for uh, some time. Uh, yep. I, I think it, it was obviously a really good strategy. Uh, it's interesting because come back and get a fresh look at the songs and yeah. Sometimes I think that can be bad for a band. And honestly, this also this goes against two of my rules. One is that <laughs> you can give a band too much time to do a record. Oh, definitely. Not that, yep. You know, like not that six months is a crazy long time, but really compared to a lot of these albums we're talking about that were like three month periods of time. Max. I mean, maybe the longest one we've talked about so far is Blink-182's Untitled uh, album. That's probably the album we've talked about that actually took a really long time for them to do. Yeah. Um, but the rest of them were pretty short recording timelines, a lot of them due to budget concerns and stuff. Right. So that's normally, <laughs> but that's normally kind of a, a thing with me. I'm like, hey, I think that sometimes you can spend too much time and you start questioning your original ideas and you try new things and maybe with like tape it's a, with digital it's easy to keep that original idea around with tape it wasn't as easy um so that sometimes a rule that obviously they broke but worked pretty well the other rule that i think uh they broke a lot and it worked out pretty well for them but like i normally say that bands 
self-producing is a terrible idea because so many times it's such a bad idea yes it's yeah normally it turns into first of all if you've got one guy in the band that's the producer it's like there's some tension there because he's going no i'm the producer and i say it has to be like this and i don't know what their dynamic was in in all this but like that can be a hard dynamic also you can't you really do need an outside opinion most of the time i don't know if there's the other there had to be some other guys in the Well, they had assistant or... engineers and stuff yeah. at all the different studios, but and maybe they're going to them as tiebreakers or something. I have no idea, but like maybe they just maybe they were all on the same page on on all of this stuff, but yeah. They make a lot of good records that way. I mean, I do think at some point it I don't want to call say that it got stale, but it was it, Death Cab, I think the only kind of problem mark I would have against them is that like they had to try to do something different in the studio to make a different record kind of, I feel like sometimes yeah, yeah. because it's easy to get in that rut, not a rut, but it's like you can get too comfortable sometimes with the, with the same thing. And that's why bands switch producers all the time. It's like even Jimmy Iovine was like, yeah, if you do a record with three, do three records with the same producer talking about doing Tom Petty's three records in a row. He was like, that's probably enough. Like you probably, you know, it's like yeah. you can get stale after that. Well, and, and they, uh, they did like, he walked away from, he started to produce that ghost of Beverly drive. What's that record called? It starts with a K. Um, uh, Kinsuki or yeah. Kin- oh, yeah. uh, Kin- I can't remember it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the one I can't remember. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and he was like, you know what? We need some fresh blood in here. So. Yeah. And and you're right. I think that it's because the record, I think before that, I think that they had hit that wall, in my opinion. Uh, but anyway, that's another thing. By the way, speaking of Jimmy Iovine, I saw on the Wikipedia page for this that he wanted to sign, he wanted, he was at Interscope at the time, wanted to sign Death Cab and Postal Service. And his quote was, why would I want to sell the, why would I only want to sign the one that sold less than, than a million records? <laughs> because postal service had gone platinum at that point. Uh, Don't hate me, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. It's like can't begrudge him, I guess, for saying that. Um, any other thoughts on tiny vessels? Um, you, you are beautiful, serves, but, but you don't mean a thing to oh, me. Yeah, oh yeah, what a ouch, ooh, ouch. <laughs> That is a that's a harsh lyric. Uh, yeah. and I think the other thing that makes his lyrics so impactful is that often he's saying that with like very sparse things happening behind it. So it's like, it's not obscured by anything. It is right there. Um, and I just love that. This album feels like you're in the room with the band. Like it feels, it's not like big and reverby. It's like, it feels like I'm sitting in the studio with the guys. It's a great headphone album. So if you haven't listened to this one in, in cans before, I highly recommend it uh fun dad joke is that tiny vessels serves as a great tiny vessel for the intro to the next song which is transatlanticism Opening question to you fellas about this song is it the best makeout mixtape jam from the two thousands? <laughs> is there a better song for a makeout mixtape than this song? 
Hard to hard to think of one. I mean, you got a lot of time in there. You know, you got the build up. It kind of does some of the work it's a, for you. <laughs> it's a four yeah. minute build up, guys. It's a seven and a half minute song with a four minute build up. That's amazing, so, right? Sorry, mom, if you're listening. It's got the build up. It's got the I need you so much closer. So come on. I mean, it's like yeah. it's just it's it's like come on. It was the best. Uh, I can't think of one that made um, more of those kind of mixes uh, than this one for me. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on the title track? I had two. I had two words for my notes, and I think you fellows know it. Mixtape must. Mm-hmm. Mixtape must. It is absolutely a mixtape must. Uh, and yeah, I mean, it's. If you didn't make so out good. to this, uh, what Chris, the heck what, were you even oh, doing with your life? Yeah, <laughs> making bad choices. Yeah, yeah, not not making mixtapes. Obviously, not, <laughs> not doing. Yeah, the right I mean, thing. it's uh, <laughs> so good. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts other than the aforementioned uh, make out ability, if that's uh, a word? I, yeah, the. The French Beautiful ability. Thing about the song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing in my notes about that. Uh, the uh, I, I love I love that this song just start start starts off with just four really simple chords on the piano and a single yep. note between the third and fourth chord on the second stanza, and it just builds from there. I I, I it, it's an incredibly well crafted song. Absolutely, just it's a beautiful piece of art. That's that's what I put. It's art. It's beautiful. I love it. It's, it, it. It still gets me emotional. It's just it, it makes you feel emotions. I'm, yeah. I'm not even talking about the lyrics. I'm, nope. it, it, it could be instrumental, and, yeah. and you would make you feel that way. Uh, it, it's yeah. It's a very special song to me. I, I just think it's wonderful. I agree. I think it's a masterclass in how to build uh, tension and 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 just like the song doing this just to ramp up the whole time. Um, and you have to start very sparse and very chill to be able to have a seven and a half minute song that goes up and up and up and up and up and up. Yeah. You need to have Um, a plan. (laughs) You you better have this well planned out. I, um, I just cannot find anything about why that metronome cowbell is in the background. That's not, but I, I love it. But I remember like the first time listening to this in my car, like turning it down. Cause I, ca- I thought something was oh, broken the, yeah. in my dang car. Um, I don't know what creative choice that was, but I kind of love it. I have no idea why it's in there, but I love it. It just adds another layer of flavor to the middle of the song. It almost sounds like something they put in there as a joke or something. Cause I don't, I, I don't said, think the don't guys in Death Cab for Cutie tell jokes. <clears throat> you, you're probably right. Maybe not joke. Maybe it was like a. You're probably right. It probably has some sort of. Well, that was at the tempo that my my ex lover. I don't know. Just some sort of yeah. favorite song was or something, and we wrote this song at a different tempo, and we threw that. I don't know. It's weird, but I love it. Uh, it's one of those things that I. If it was not in there, I would hear it in my head still. It's almost like demoitis or something, but it's not absolutely. Uh, but I don't know. I would love to know that story. Like, what is that in the background? Uh, why is it there? Um, I mean, it literally sounds like one of those old metronomes. I, I always pictured one of those yeah. swinging arm me- metronomes. Yeah, or the, whenever I hear it, or the big freaking one we had in band, like like middle school band. You know that thing that was like oh. the size of a toaster. And uh, had the big knob on it. Like, it sounds like one of those to me. And maybe that's not even what it is. I don't know. But Mr. Newton, man. <laughs> Back in the day. Uh, 
any other did we miss anything on uh, on transatlanticism other than uh, it just being fantastic? Okay, sounds good. It's fantastic. We all agree. Uh, so <laughs> let's go to passenger seat. To tell the difference between shooting stars and satellites from the passenger seat as you are driving me home do they collide i ask you could probably get away if your mixtape was in order and you weren't shuffling through it you could have this just follow transatlanticism and it would work pretty well yeah. for uh for the slowdown after uh, the intensity of uh, transatlanticism. Kyle, what are your thoughts on uh, passenger seat? Well, I really like the line about shooting stars and satellites. In the year 2003, there was also another band named P.O.D. that had a song about satellites. Very similar. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) He did it. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. He always (laughs) manages to bring up, on topic somehow... One of those bands from the early 2000s. Was that 2003 that POD was a thing? uh, Honestly, I I I pulled that out of my butt, but it wouldn't surprise me (laughs) if it was 2003. (laughs) I feel like that was late. I feel like I was still in high school when POD was a thing, but maybe uh, I might have my timeline. Oh, like I said. 2001. It was was September 11th, 2001. (laughs) September 11th. No. Well. Yeah. It's yeah. uh, it's it's equally well, it's it's equally timing. good. Sorry about that, guys. Woo. It's close enough. Um, so. Uh, oh no no it's all, I mean you you didn't know. Yeah, you're right. I didn't. <laughs> Do you have any other I, thoughts on passenger seat other than um, uh, bringing up POD? <laughs> no. Uh, well, all I, I mean, can think of now is <laughs> POD videos. Yeah, I mean they're always partying in their videos. They're they're maybe the opposite of Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> Also, they might be <laughs> literally <laughs> the opposite man. Also, <laughs> also, Chris, you said that I'm never going to forget this, you these saying, two bands. These two bands in a room. I, I, I'm never going to forget you saying <laughs> yeah, Death Cab for talk Cutie about? doesn't tell jokes, and they wouldn't talk about a thing. <laughs> um, and but like I pictured when you said that that every decision they made, they settled with a gentleman's game of chess, like. <laughs> That's how decisions like smoking are Smoking a pipe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Checkmate. Well played. I think, I think you're probably right. I think that Death Cab for Cutie are actual um, like indie hipsters. Yeah. And everyone else is just trying to be yep. the real, the, what they really are. I think everyone else yeah. is faking it with their clothing and not their them. pipes and their ironic mustaches. And I think not them. I think they're no. for real. They're in Chris, it, and they're not, and it's not, nothing. It's not a, even a choice. It's like who they are. Chris Walla moved to Norway. I mean, I can't think of anything more indie rock than that. <laughs> there is nothing more indie rock than moving to he's Norway. He left the country and he went to Norway because people talk like I'm going to leave the country, and he's like, I'm I'm, I'm going, going to, to move to Norway and quit he's probably Death studying Cap film. Like, well, that's ultimate indie rock. Yeah, he's probably yeah. studying. He's making French films in he's Norway. Studying film, probably. In Norway. Uh yeah, dude, it's it's yeah. You leave Seattle, yeah. It's a it's it's also a mixtape jam. It's it's awesome. I mean, uh, kind. I'm just 
everything is repeating itself, but it's what's great about this record or, and, or to me, what felt special about it at the time, there's just like not a lot going on, but every, I guess it makes it feel like everything has a purpose. You know what I mean? And, and so, um, it's a great way to say it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's excellent. I love it. That's a great way to, to put it. It it is like everything's super intentional. Yeah. And I like that. Um, any other thoughts on passenger seat before we go to death of an interior designer? All right, let's do it. Here we go. If you want to talk about some time signature weirdness, uh, Chris, I this don't. one has it. I'm horrified. What, what time signature is this in, guys? What do you think it's in? One potato, two potato. <laughs> oh, no, I'm off. I'm off. Hold on. Nope. One, two, three potato. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> Here, I'm going to play the clip again. Here's, okay. what, I think, is it a here's what I think the time signature is. But it, uh, except I, I think it's I think it's really more 6-8 because it like because it uh, to me it sounds like this. One, two, three, four, five, six. One, two, three, four, five. And the only reason I'm saying it's not a waltz is because generally on waltz, it's like one, two, three. And so the snare would be like on the three yep. every time or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, it definitely like six, has eight, a waltz. But I, the drums I, are not really in six, eight. I don't disagree with your count. It sounded right, but it fe- it's got a waltzy feel to it for me. It I'm does. a waltzer. But also the drums are kind of doing something. If you could just hear the drums, you'd think it was in like a 4-4 four, four, maybe. Yeah. But it's like yeah. every instrument's kind of doing something weird. But once again, they are very good musicians, good at putting this thing together. And uh, and it makes it really interesting. And um, again, like th- there's nothing fancy about that drum part, but it sounds fantastic. And it's so weird in the mix that you're like, wait, 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 what's happening? I can't figure out where I'm at. Uh, but I love it. It's great. Um, other thoughts on death of an interior designer, Kyle? Oh no! I, I mean, I honestly, I was kind of, I was kind of waiting to see who went first because we, you know, we were talking about drums on that one. I mean, um, yeah, no, no other thoughts. But I, but it does kick butt. I'll say that. Yeah, I, I wrote down that I love the bridge. I was really excited you played the bridge, <laughs> obviously. Like, uh, how there's no bass. We talked so much about the bass filling it up, and then on the first half of this bridge, they just cut it out, and it sounds really cool. Yep. Great production, all and a lot of layering of the vocals on this song, too. It sounds really good. Really like the bass drum sound on this one, because it's very, like, he's not kicking the crap out of that thing. He's just kind of, it sounds kind of like a... Uh, like a felt mallet kind of thing. And then, yeah. you know, it's not like they're trying to get the thack of it. They're trying to get the kind of boom the of the, of the, yep. <laughs> and that's again, when you've got the space to do that, you know, the sonic space to actually have what sounds like a real kick drum, as opposed to the, like the hyper high end compressed, like, you know, thump that you feel right. in your chest that we're normally hearing on most rock records. 
Yeah, um, all the the rest of us were definitely turning the felt tip around and slamming it with the plastic end. So, uh, yeah, of course, that's what we had to do to to cut through the uh, the half stack guitars. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> you, you needed that uh, needed that extra attack, but uh, not here. I mean, it's just it's got really good sounds, and again, it's w- just really well executed. I think it was Jeff Hall that taught me that you could turn turn the beat beater around. Probably. I was so excited when I figured that out. I didn't know you could do that. I was like, you could turn it around. Like, yeah, you can do whatever you want, I guess, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, that'll give you some real attack. That DW one with that <laughs> yeah. plastic end, that thing yeah. heading towards you will you will kick through a couple kick drums in your yeah, life if you play Death, it like that. Death Cab did not experiment a lot. I doubt with with that. Uh, I don't think they used that side of that beater for <laughs> yeah. sure. I don't think. Uh, I think you. I think. Uh, Think old McGurr would have been like, no, sir. <laughs> McGurr. <laughs> McGurr, no McGurr. No, we're not doing that. Hey, uh, but McGurr, we, we love you, man. Uh, I don't know what, what happened with the name. It's just turned into a funny thing. But if you're it listening, has. Uh, and we, 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 we if you're listening and you I are, assume we're for sorry. him. As, and you are. <laughs> it's funny you brought up Jeff Hall. Jeff Hall has played on a bunch of my stuff. He's a great local drummer and he's Amazing fantastic. Drummer. He's so good. He's got a ton of, ton of gear. But I feel like anyone that charts out all the Death Cab songs to go into the tryout is probably also not just a really good drummer, but like really good at the tuning of drums. And I feel like that is very obvious on this record because the drums don't have like one sound the whole record. It's like, right. you. I mean, I can tell it's like that kick drum is totally unique to other to this song not the other yes. ones it's probably a different snare drum so i just yes. feel like he's done a does a really good job at like oh this is the drum sound for this song and that's gotta be as much him as it is chris walla which maybe is the other big difference is like maybe the i mean obviously the the old drummer was not bad or anything like that he was really talented too but uh, maybe that's the big sonic difference on this that, record? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds fantastic. So No, you're right, because mo- most rock and roll records, indie records even, like you pick a, you kind of pick a drum sound and you stick with it. You do a little experimentation on percussion, but, you know, you find your you bass sound. You might change the snare. Sounds. Yeah, maybe a little bit. but Yeah, you might this, switch out snares on songs, but generally the, toms and kick are going to be... Yeah, the drums have a different, almost a different personality on almost every song on this record. Yep, I think so. Let's go to uh, We Look Like Giants. Like Giants Grace of compacts fumbling to make contact as the others slept inside. Chris Monier, what are your thoughts on "We Look Like Giants"? My my word, the drums on the verse. What 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 is going on? I I could not. I I would have to study that song for a week to play it. Um, and he seems to do it so effortlessly. Um, and it so a lot of these songs are very deep, um, and are very emotional. This song's got like kind of a dark bite to it. Like it's got a like some uh you know some anger to it, and I kind of like it. Um, and oddly also, enough, it's the song about making out in a car, but right. doesn't make the makeout playlist. <laughs> yeah, I, you know what are you gonna do? I guess, <laughs> I guess when the lyrics fit the song, you just go for it. You do. Uh, what else were you gonna say, Chris? Something else? No. I was gonna say that I didn't know until today what he meant by the J A M C, and I believe he's talking about Jesus and Mary Chain. That seems like a band that they would listen to, right? 
I would think so. I mean, two weeks so in a row. The same connection to uh, the Jimmy, Jimmy World. World. Yeah, two weeks in a row. How weird, right? We oh, didn't really think whoa. about that at all. It, it's trippy. <laughs> whoa. <laughs> all right. Let's Crazy. try to make it. Let's try to make it three, guys. Yeah. Let's see if we can find someone else that references. <laughs> someone else sings about him. Uh, Kyle, what are your thoughts on "We Look Like Giants"? Okay, so this was my other note about order, and here's why. And, and I'm torn because okay. I'm going to be honest. This is probably my least favorite song on the record, and but also it feels like a pretty good ending to the record. And so I don't know if I just want it off the record or if I want it last. And that is all. That's all I've got. Um, <laughs> I can see that. I mean, I can feel it. I feel it. Yeah. <clears throat> Honestly, I hadn't thought about my, uh, my sort of awards at the end of the show to know which one would be my nobody's perfect or, um, so that's uh that's an interesting take though. I'm trying to think of how the song actually ends. I think you're right it could be, but I mean obviously we'll go I don't want a lack second, of color but... to go away. Um so so that's not what I'm getting at. I'm just saying I get what you're feels, saying. It, it's the it, the way this one ends, it's kind of got like a last song vibe for me. So Yeah, cuz it's mm-hmm. it's it's rocking and it's uh moody. And mm-hmm. it does, yeah. I can, I can see that. I think that I don't have a problem with it, but I don't disagree with your opinion on it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I'm not like, oh no, you couldn't possibly not put uh, a lack of color last, but because yeah. um, it feels like a last song too. But uh, they also write a lot of songs that could probably fit into the last song category. Yeah, I, <laughs> I feel like that's and, their and- forte. And yeah. also, I feel like I should I should put a I didn't put a disclaimer out there. I feel like I should. When I say that it's my least favorite song on the record, like these these guys are brilliant at what they do, and and so like I'm not. That's not me saying it's a terrible song. I'm just saying it's it's just my least favorite. That's all. No, it's like it's like picking your least favorite Haribo gummy bear flavor. Yeah, they're it's all like, delicious. They're all really good. Yeah, but They're I'm gonna delicious. eat green. We were talking about gummy bears before the Every podcast time. started. You boys love your gummy bears. We really do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, let's go to the last track then. A lack of color. I should have given you a reason to stay. Given you a reason to stay. Given you a reason to stay. There's that sound at the end, and, and maybe that would be my argument against you, Kyle, is that like yeah. that sound that comes in at the end there and then loops us back to the, the beginning of the new year. Um, that's really nice bookends. I, I could see both being, either one being the last track, but I think I'm, I'm, think I'm pro lack of color being the last track. I okay. think the way it ends, those chords with the piano, um, that like sounds like an upright I mean, just that's a perfect piano sound, too, again. And I think, you know, this is, I think the reason I didn't realize this was on tape is because, like, I can't really hear the tape hiss on this record, but I think it's because they didn't use all the tracks all the time. 
Uh, what tape does is, that make is, a is that, okay. well, yeah, because what happens is that, like you record one thing and then you record another thing and then you record another thing. Well, it's like if you use all 32 tracks, you've got 32 tracks of hiss potentially if you're not riding faders and stuff on mixes. And so, you know, this thing has an acoustic guitar, that kind of noise in the background, and a piano essentially, and then his vocals. So it leaves a lot of space. I mean, I imagine they did not use all 32 tracks on, on, a song like this. Um, anyway, so, I mean, it sounds wonderful. I mean, this is one of the best sounding records. Um, I think it's definitely in my top. I don't know. I'm terrible at like actually ranking things, but it is one of my favorite yeah. sounding records as far as like putting on headphones or listening to on vinyl or whatever. Like it sounds perfect. I mean, there's nothing on it that I feel like, Oh, I would change that sound or like that sounds like they rushed through it or something. It's like everything was, they paid attention to every detail on this. And I think that's what made them a better band is that, you know, I, I don't know if that they were fine before. Like I said, I didn't like them and I don't think they were like bad musicians or something, but something changed on this one and they didn't no, look back. You're absolutely right. It, it, it was a, a tra- a definitely a train, a career transition, like a big one. Any uh, maybe, thoughts on, Oh, go maybe, ahead. Well, I was going to say, maybe it was him getting his own studio too and just feeling a little more comfortable um, in yeah, his own skin, I mean, in his own space. I mean, he, he's like we talked about, he, he moved to Norway. He's, you know, <laughs> he's an artist's artist, artist. Uh, yep. So b- feeling comfortable and happy and safe is probably an important part of his uh, 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 creative process. He's also I, obviously a creative producer too, yeah. in the sense that, which I think the best song, I think the best producers are songwriters themselves. I just think that there's, um, you can be really good at the audio part, but if you don't understand the songwriting part, you're not good at making the decisions of like when to leave stuff out, maybe, or you're not great at the structuring the song. But like he's a really good songwriter, so I think that makes a, a big difference in his production too. Kyle, any other thoughts on Lack of Color? We know you like the song. You just maybe wouldn't put it last. Well, so I, I yeah, but I, I think it's my favorite lyrics on the record. I love the line, and all the girls in every girly magazine can't make me feel any less alone. That is so good. I was going to say the same thing. Dude, yeah. what a what a killer line. It's a great line. And, and then also even just it's simple but what the part that you played, I should have given you a reason to stay. I mean, that is a that is a heavy line yeah. to sing in a song about being be, feeling alone, you know. Whew, it's good. Uh, God, no, it hit me hard. I wrote that lyric down too, giving you a reason to stay. Um it, I think it's also a really good yeah. ending lyric. Like yeah. that's a yeah. really good like for an album basically about a breakup for the most part or long distance or the sad parts of a relationship. That's a really good ending line. Yep. Um and I also like that it doesn't place the blame on the other person. Yeah. It doesn't get totally. to be in the song. That is uh, something really yeah. unique and special about the style of all these songs is that he's he's not he's not taking blame but he's just like, yeah. You know, well, just like knows that like he can be at fault ha- for stuff. Too. He he owns well, then, his oh, part. There you go, perfectly put. Oh, and, mm. Or you uh, to put it another way, like these are how these things go. Sometimes you know, yeah. yep. you're not evil. <laughs> you know, yep. like all the other emo songs would be about like you know how crazy she was or something. And he's like, yeah, these things happen. Or right, if brand that's what new also had made, written. We it. talked a lot about this. On the- <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. There's a t- difference t- t- between brand turn. news. 
but like we talked about a lot on Motion City Soundtrack, how you know Justin uh, Pierre is like, I, I'd say not the same as far as like lyrical style, but like he's a great lyricist. He's really good at like going like, self-deprecation. Up. Like this yeah. is my fault. <laughs> like yeah, and like, but not in a. Not in like a feel sorry for me kind of lighthearted like self deprecation. Self deprecation for the sake of yes, exactly. Wow. And yeah, and Ben Gifford's maybe a little bit more not lighthearted about it, but like the giving you a reason to stay is is a really good lyric, and I think it's a great way to end the record too. Um, uh, so let's go to kind of lasting impressions and whatnot. So I mean, again, we asked this for whatever reason, but does it hold up? Of course, Boy, does it ever? Yeah, I mean, duh. I mean, a hundred percent. I could listen to this album front to back any any day of the week, anytime. Someone puts this on, I would never be like, uh, "Can we listen to something else?" I'd be like, "Play the whole thing, maybe play it twice." Yeah, it was. Uh, it's it's a, to me, it's a vinyl must. It's an album must. Really, other than Transatlanticism being on on mixtapes, this is not a playlist album. You don't throw these songs on playlist. Like you listen to this record, like. Yep. Yep. I firmly believe that. I really feel that way about almost all of their records, actually, um, that they just do a really good job of making like a cohesive album. It doesn't feel like a collection of songs. It feels like there are threads line running through the whole thing, be they lyrically or sonically or instrumentally or whatever it is. Um, and I, I've always loved an album that feels like an album, and this was definitely... Definitely one of them. I wouldn't call it a concept album at all or something, but it does. I mean, there's definitely threads running through it, and I, and I love it. Um, yeah, so we agree. It holds up. Uh, no problem there. And obviously, it's like, we didn't really talk about it. Very, very well critically received uh, yeah. record, like when it came out, which is, uh, you know, hard to do sometimes. Critics are kind of weird about their stuff uh, and super critical about things, but this was like, every, this is one of those things where like, I didn't know anyone that listened to this record that didn't like it and all the critics loved it. And I just feel like that doesn't happen very often. Sometimes it's like, Oh, critics love this record. It like doesn't have a lot of success, but this thing, I don't think it went platinum uh, as, as the, as mentioned in the Jimmy Iovine quote, (laughs) but I mean, it went gold and I bet it's gone platinum since probably Uh, at this point it probably has, but uh, yeah, really good. So is it, here's where I think things could get fun. Is it their best album? Kyle? Let's go to you first. Not for me, it's not. Um, but it's okay. It's let's let's one of the be- best. Before you tell us what yours is, okay, Chris, what do you think? Without telling us, unless this is your best, I I struggled with this. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. <laughs> um, it's hard for them. But I, I'd have to say close tie. But I don't. I think no. I think okay. It's not. I'm I'm no too. So it's unanimous. We don't think it's their best album. So uh, do we so Kyle, all? What do you think is? I mean, I'm I'm gonna say this, and and maybe this takes it for all you guys, or maybe you're sick of hearing it, but I I don't know if I personally think that there's a better song lyrically that I know than "I Will Follow You Into the Dark," and I know it was overplayed. But plans is such a good freaking record, and um, and I and I I love everything that's come after this record. So like, I and it's all close, but I think plans is my favorite. 
I'm with you on plans being my favorite, but I disagree with the best lyric. The best song is what Sarah said. That's the best lyrics of it all death cab for cutie lyrics in my opinion, but I mean, that's just me. I mean, I remember listening to that song in headphones driving in the band van back in the day. Just like <laughs> that, that plans album was, I really like transatlanticism, but I, I mean, I just plans was on a different level for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think that record's, also perfect. sonically perfect real, too, real good. I, think. I don't think it's from Ben. Yes. We all agree. I, we plans. all agree. So you're plans to plan. Yes, okay. All right. okay, good. <laughs> yes. I don't and feel like that's the general it. opinion on the internet, though. No. Really? We, no. I feel I mean, I kind of poked around a little bit just to see if I was it's on weird my that own. the internet could be, could be wrong, but they are wrong. <laughs> We're right. I, I'm glad that we all are, are in agreement on this one, uh, just because I... I'm not taking anything away from this record. I just feel like this was the one where they came into who they were. And then plans is kind of that sophomore album that like, they're like, okay, we've, we've, we've cracked the code now. And then we, we took it up a notch. Yeah, but, and, but I have to say for me, plans became the better album for, because of that song too, Kyle, that's how I feel. And when I saw him play it on, I want to say Craig Kilborn. Oh ben yes, Gibbard, dude. With this guitar by himself. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yes. That was yeah. when I saw him play that song by himself. I, I was I I've never been so enamored with like a performance of one person with an acoustic guitar, and I I was like, this is one of the greatest songs ever written. That so, and since it's on that album, the album automatically gets like, you know, dude sprung up fifty points. And and also to what you were saying, Blake, yeah, what Sarah said is great. I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and I'll, I'll say this. I will follow you into the dark. Is 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 one of the most like it's just such a sweet sentiment it no, is it is, it is and I'm so not, so nice <laughs> not dogging on that song at all i just no you like, hate it i can tell no. <laughs> <laughs> no. what sarah said was just like a different like that i don't know why that song hits me so hard but i mean that is like i just think one of the saddest and best songs ever 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 but i, I, I assume we'll talk about that album at some point uh yeah we so got it we'll, now we'll do plans we got to now. I mean, if it's if it's our favorite death cap, but I agree with you, Kyle. I don't think they've made a bad one since. Um, Codes and keys is probably, I think, the the lowest. Yeah, uh, but Still I think got it's. Some jams I think they it. were in that rut. I think they were a little I, in that I rut. I loved that album. Uh, people I do too. Even no, no, no. Give her, like dogs on it. But I, it's relative, right? It's like yeah. not it's it's not the best Death Cab, but it's still great. Okay, compared okay. to all sorts of other yeah, albums, okay. no, it okay. is far superior okay. to. But like just just talking about compared to other Death Cab albums, it's just a little bit. But it has a few of uh, song actually. Yeah, I mean it's a good it's a good one. But like the then the the next one after that, which is the the Kintsugi. Kintsugi. Yeah, that's what we. That's a good did one. Not pronounce earlier. I remember. Uh, that's like we go. Okay, we're back up. We're, I feel like we're uh, we're there again. Uh, it's got I some, think that one's uh, that, probably that's the, the only time I got underrated. One. Was mm-hmm. I agree? I think it's underrated, and that's the tour I got to see them on. I've only gotten to see them once, and I got to see them in Chicago. So it's funny you mentioned Chicago. Um, and uh, it was fantastic. And uh, they kicked it off with that opening track from that record, and uh, played a lot of songs from it, and which is great. It's nice when you catch someone on the record. That, that you're like, oh, I really like this record, and they're they're touring on that one. It sucks when they're like, we're touring on a new record, and you're like, I don't really like your new record. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst. Stop playing these songs. <laughs> Please don't play six songs from it. Uh, but uh, it does happen sometimes. Okay, so we've uh, we've determined that. 
I mean, the next question is, is it their most important album? I think so, because it's the thing that launched kind of them into uh, being a more successful band, and they get... uh, I forget who ends up signing them. Is it... uh, Atlantic. Warner. Atlantic ends up signing them. Well, Atlantic merges with Warner. Oh, right. Like that same, like a year later or something. Um, They got signed to the record company conglomerate that was around. Yeah. The big one. There were three. (laughs) There were only three. Um, So, yeah, I think it worked out pretty well for them. Uh, Anytime you've got labels coming after you like that, you get to make the deal. You know, you get to say what happens and whatnot. So, well, and they did. They, they really. They put them through the ringer to yeah to, to buy their time. old contract, and they waited. It was, I thought it was, that was kind of ba. I thought yeah, that was bought out cool. bought out the two ex- more records that they had on their indie label, and I think the rest of not just the contract, but maybe the records too. I don't know about that part. I might be wrong, but um, yeah, I think it I, works out pretty well for them. Uh, pretty important record. Kyle, do you have a different opinion? No, I, I think you're right. And actually, I think even in another way, it's it's their most important because they're following up the biggest success that Ben Gibbard has had would give up, right? Like, it, yep. it, it, it had to distinguish itself yep. uh, from that. And and so to me, like, in, in more ways than one, it was probably their, their most important. So Only barely related, but, like, why do you think they never did another Postal Service record? Because they like, dumb, I, but it can't be because they like don't want the challenge. <laughs> they hate money. <laughs> I mean, like, but the, like that's gotta be like it. Just it floors me that they made such a great record that tons of people love, sold a ton of copies. I can't tell you how many people back in the day were like, "This guy's ripping off Death Cab for Cutie." I'm like, it is Ben Gibbard, guys. <laughs> like, that happened all the time back then. This guy sounds just like Death Cab. I'm like, it is the guy from Death Cab. There's a reason. Uh, I feel like that happens uh, a lot. There's a reason that sounds just like him. Um, anyway, that's just a weird tangent of like, I, I, it seems like it would be a very fun thing to do again. Uh, maybe they just felt like they captured that magic one time and couldn't do it again, but I would love to hear another Postal Service record. I, it's okay, pretty cool. It's pretty cool they only did one. I got to say, after all these years, you got to hold it out is, now. Is it kind of like, like, like Warren... That is yeah. pretty B.A., It's kind of like right. Warren Hill. It's kind of like, well... Yeah, it's oh, like but we, Warren Hill we, The world record, needs like, a Warren Hill record, Why man. Why do you... I agree. I think yeah. that it's... I think she should do it. Like she owes well, I mean, us. It's what been 25 years. <laughs> she owes us that record's so good. And it bums it me so out good. that she never made another one. It bums me out. The postal service never made another one. So, uh, okay. So let's go to awards. She also never Desert gave us Island another Fuji's record. Favorites, Chris. Well, but that makes sense. At least you've got collaborators in that sense. And they had all gone off to their own things, but like, I'm Lauren just saying Hill she did it to us twice, man. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah, yeah, but the Fugees, that always happens with those kind of super group things or whatever. She did give us the best version of His Eyes on the Sparrow from Sister Act 2, though, by the way. Just another yeah. little Lauren Hill tidbit when she was Great like 12. Great movie. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> Blake, Chris, what... Are... Blake has some surprising knowledge about Lauren Hill. Uh, my... I really like that <laughs> record, man. <laughs> uh, I, I, my three Desert Island songs, this was really hard to pick. Trans... Uh, now, how do you say it, Blake? Because now I feel well, like I'm going to say it wrong. Is it Translanicism or Transatlanticism? Atlanticism, yeah, transatlanticism. Okay, okay. But I'm That's saying some people I... put some people put an N in the middle Trans- of the A and the T, Atlantic like Atlantic Ocean, but it's Atlantic. Right, right. I, I but now yeah. I can't remember how I ever said it, or if I no, ever said it aloud. You're probably right. You've never mispronounced the Atlantic Ocean. 
Right, right. Okay. Kyle's well, not doing it right either. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. And then anyway, the yeah. Sound, the sound is settling. That's a gimme. And yeah. uh, for the third song, Lightness, I, I, we talked about it being a downer for the second song. Absolutely true. But it's just such a beautiful uh, piece of music. And the jazzy drums and all the space, I, I, I like it. It, it, it. it makes me feel groovy. I like it. Kyle, what are yours? Uh, I'm going to agree with my birthday buddy on two of them. I'm going to say The Sound of Settling uh transatlanticism and i'm i'm gonna go a lack of color because i just really really love the way that that one ends even though i even though i said i didn't want it to be the end of the record but i i love the i love that song i love the lyrics so i agree it's very hard to narrow it down to two or three i think i'm with you guys on two of them too i think it has to be transatlanticism and sound of settling i think those are two that are just in there. But for me, it's the new year. I mean, it's the opening yeah. track. I think yeah, I have I to torn. include that one in there, but I'm with you on lack of color and, uh, and lightness both. I mean, those are like definitely in that running, but if I can only pick three, I'm going to, I think new year's going to, going to round it out for me. Um, what about nobody's perfect? Is there a song that you potentially could not have on this record and still be okay with it? It's not a stinker. We know there's not a stinker on this record, but like, is there one you could cut and be okay with? Let's put it that way for a, for one that doesn't have a stinker. I felt weird about um, we looked like giants, and I couldn't figure out why. And then when Kyle kind of mentioned it, so I think that one would be it for me. Yeah, that's it for and me. And not because it's bad, just the same same feelings he had. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that we need that part of the record though, so oh, I wouldn't get uh, yeah. rid of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I can pick one. I really, I don't think I, I still don't think I have a Nobody's Perfect, even for just like a, hey, is there a song that like this album wouldn't be, feel like it has a piece missing from it. But uh, Kyle, what about you? Do you have one? Yeah, mine's the same. Mine's, mine's, okay. mine's We Looked Like Giants. And and even if it wasn't where it was, it's just, it's just my, it's just my least favorite jam on, on the record. And also, I don't think it's a bad song. Yeah, I mean, I can't get rid of that just because the bass line is so tasty. It is a tasty bass. It's very good. You know, I know. again, I want to brag on I like that you, like, some bass players are very much like, nope, I do finger picking. And other guys are like, nope, I do use a pick. And I feel like he's like, whatever the song needs, man. If I got to if I gotta dig into this thing with a pick and an overdrive pedal, great. If I'm doing fancy stuff with my fingers, great. That's, that's cool, too. Uh, I, I like that he doesn't get stuck in a rut. He does whatever the song needs. And that's yep. what the best bass players do. It's like they're most people don't know their names. Most people <laughs> like, you know, and but like they like this record is not the same without the rhythm section. It's just totally. not. Like, um and so I love it. So that's why I can't get rid of uh, We Look Like Giants. Uh, what about Grower Not a Shower? Is there one that uh, maybe didn't hit you at first and does more so now? The whole band is a grower, not a shower for me, since I didn't like them before this record. Right? <laughs> that yeah. makes it, if that works, I don't know if that's a cheat. Is that fair? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I completely no, that's fair. agree. I, I, so, Passenger Seat for me, like, I, I always kind of liked that song. But after, as I got older and I started listening more Brian Eno, and now that I hear the influence on that song and just hit and Eno's influence on Walla, that, that song like really grew on me. Like uh, I was thinking about, oh, what's that Eno album? Um, song, air, airport, songs about airports. No, Brian, 
you know, airport, uh, music for airports. Um, I, when, when I kind of started to hear, uh, the influence, I, I appreciated that song a lot more when I listened to it at, at, at my age, my very old age. Yeah, I think that there's a lot on this record that's like that for me, where it's like, obviously, I was listening to a lot of you know, rock and roll and, and more, he- not heavy. <coughs> I was not a heavy guy, but, you know, more upbeat, stuff like right, that. Right, right, right. And it's really easy to kind of like, like glide past the more chill, sparse stuff. And exactly. then, and, and it's also, we've had, I've said this on other albums that we talk about, but like, this is not an album that I crank in the car. Probably this is more of like sitting at home with headphones or listening. Like it's not a, it's not a windows down jam album and all the nuance gets lost in the car anyway with road noise and stuff. This is like a sit at home late at night, rainy day or something like that. Like, and listen to it. And so I think there's a lot that, that grew on me, even though I really liked the record then too, there's not a specific song though. I don't think, I think it's just like, uh, I think there are lots of things I grew to appreciate more later, but it's not a specific song. Kyle, do you have one? No. Kyle is frozen. <laughs> no, there he goes. I thought you were totally frozen, but uh, it looks like you were just being very still. Um, any other ending thoughts on the record, fellas? Nothing. Uh, no. Well, I mean, we've said so much. It's, yeah, we have. Uh, it's an absolutely, uh, absolutely magical piece of music. I love this record. I'm really yeah. glad we got to do it. I am. I am too. I think that uh, w- no matter your opinions on it being emo or not, or or any of that uh, minutia of the things that people would argue about, it's a great album from the early 2000s, uh, and so we therefore put it on our podcast because we're in charge of it. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. Exactly right. That's how it goes. Uh, well, thanks for listening. And again, if you like what you hear, please consider giving us a glowing review on iTunes. Actually, I didn't ask for a review up front, so not again. The first time oh, in this no, episode, we're I'm not asking gonna get for any a review reviews. up front. We're going to get no reviews. Yeah. Uh, you can also subscribe, obviously, so that these episodes just show up. This one's a little bit late. Sorry about it. Chris's AC went out. He lives in Texas. It's very hot if you don't have AC in Texas. Yeah, didn't know I'm about that. so sorry, guys. It's That's okay. I don't think anyone woke up Tuesday morning and was like, where's the podcast? Uh, I hope I they did. Get, I didn't get any messages. Leave but, them wanting more. That's the that's the saying, right? In the old exactly. business of music. Uh, but if you do want to message us, you can do so uh, at info at Finding Emo Pod or at any of the social media things at Finding Emo Pod. Uh, other than that, we will catch you all next time. Bye.